coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Tuesday afternoon to you, unless you're listening Wednesday morning in the replay on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Wherever you podcast, whatever you're listening, I thank you for tuning in. I have on my calendar Senator Elena Parent from the Georgia Senate joining me to discuss what I've been talking about a lot for the last couple of weeks, and that's redistricting. Uh, As of putting today's show together, two of the three maps that have been bantied about have been approved by both the House and the Senate. I'm sure will be signed by the governor and then sent to a federal judge for him to scrutinize and or hand over to a special master to redraw. The congressional map, I think, is the last one. Yeah, it's the last one to be voted on. And uh, if that changes before we go to air, I'll try and let you know that that's been voted on as well. Uh, I've been playing around with the numbers a little bit. And currently, the Georgia Senate has a 59% GOP representation. The Georgia House has a 56.7% GOP representation. And at the federal level, the GOP enjoys a 64.3% majority representation. Now, the Voting Rights Act doesn't talk about partisanship. The Voting Rights Act talks about uh, racial demography and fairness. It's hard, though, to differentiate the two when, particularly in the South, white voters tend to vote overwhelmingly for the GOP, the conservative brand, I should say, because the Democratic Party used to be a conservative majority party in the South before the era of Nixon and Reagan, the Southern strategy, et cetera, and so on. And voters of color, not just black voters, but voters of color overwhelmingly support the Democratic Party. It's almost completely along not just racial lines, but white and non-white lines. I want to clarify that because the Voting Rights Act talks about black voters, specifically. But here's the thing, and, and this, is, this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to do you maintain or try to get rid of gerrymandering? And this is an opportunity for Georgia to do something right. And the Georgia GOP says, nope, not on our watch. <laughs> Absolutely not on our watch. So again, I'm going to remind you what those numbers were. 59% of the Georgia State Senate, GOP. 56.7% of the Georgia House, GOP. 64% of its congressional representation, GOP. The largest number, obviously, is the 64.3%. The smallest number, 56.7%. And now I'm going to go back. I want you to just hang on to the 56.7%, okay? I'm going to go back and give you the percentage of voters that the GOP's either gubernatorial or presidential candidate collected. Going all the way back to 2014. There you go. Nearly 10 years. Going to give you that's a, I think, a proper snapshot of where the state's electorate is, right? Remember, the smallest number that the GOP has gifted themselves in representation is in the Georgia House at 56.7%. 
in the 2022 gubernatorial election. The GOP candidate netted 53%. That's more than three percentage points less than 56.7%. That's the threshold. In the presidential election of 2020, Donald Trump received 49%. In 2018, hotly contested gubernatorial race between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. The Brian Kemp that got 53% in 2022 only got 50% in 2020. I'm sorry, 2018. In 2016, Hillary Clinton running against the insurgent Donald Trump. Donald Trump only got 50% of Georgia's total votes cast. 6.5% or more less than that lowest threshold of representation the state of Georgia's GOP has gifted themselves in the House. And when you go back to 2014, Nathan Deal got 52% of the vote. Still, nearly five points percentage-wise less than the GOP's lowest representation threshold that they currently enjoy. So when you go back and look at 10 years of voting in this country, in this state, not once has a GOP candidate netted anywhere near 56.7%. Nowhere near. Certainly not near 59%, and not even within shouting distance of 64.3% at the congressional level. Not even within 10 percentage points of that, actually. And yet, because of gerrymandering, because it's legal in this country, it's not right, but it's legal, the GOP maintains power at a disproportionate level. So the Voting Rights Act was, in essence, designed not to deal with hyper-partisanship, because remember, back in the 1960s, there was this fluctuation within both parties, mostly because of race. But the GOP, pretending to be colorblind throughout this process, (laughs) is anything but. Because you can't find evidence of them taking from white to give to black. No, they took from tan and tanner to give to black. Jason Esavez's district, prime example. Lucy McBath's district, a prime example. And why? <laughs> why are we splitting up Gwinnett County into four separate... Listen, it's a pretty large county, geographically speaking, but... And I would readily admit that you could, you could make the argument that the rural side of Gwinnett County has disparate ideologies than the more metropolitan side, the more western and southwestern side of Gwinnett County. You could make that argument. But four different districts for one county? I mean, I grew up in Columbia County, and the mindset was kind of different from one side to the next. You had a clearly suburban side and a clearly more rural side. You could make the argument. Maybe they don't belong in the same district. But four different districts for one county? 
That's and, and that's at the congressional level, not even the state house level. It's kind of nutty. Taking the floor earlier today, exasperated State Senator Gloria Butler. Today we are here to discuss and debate the proposals for the congressional and state house maps. A federal court has ordered that each of these maps be redrawn in compliance with the Voting Rights Act. The Democratic Caucus recognizes that fair maps are crucial to ensuring that every vote in Georgia counts equally and that no voter in Georgia is subject to discrimination in the election process. Therefore, we believe that the court's order must be strictly followed in each of the maps being proposed today. Last month, Judge Jones issued a 516-page order which found that the 2021 congressional and state house maps proposed and passed by Republicans violated the Voting Rights Act and discriminated against black voters. In regard to the state house maps, <clears throat> Judge Jones held that the enacted house districts 61, 64, 74, 78, 117, 133, 142, 143, 145, 147, and 149 violated the Voting Rights Act. He then ordered that two additional majority black house districts be drawn in South Metro Atlanta that one additional majority black house district be drawn in West Metro Atlanta, and that two additional majority black house districts in and around Macon Beer. The Republican proposal before us does not comply with the judge's order. First, the Republican proposal changes 56 districts while the court only identified 11 districts as violating the Voting Rights Act. So true. Second, the Republican proposal unnecessarily takes away or dilutes minority voting power in two majority-minority districts in DeKalb and Gwinnett counties. Yep. For example, District 81 was a majority-minority district in the enacted map and is no longer a majority-minority district in the Republican proposal. Indeed, District 81 will increase from 47% white voting age population to nearly 66% that. Further, Minority voting power is decreased in districts 101 and 105. So instead, these maps created by Republicans is just a game. And what it's done is switch one out to the other, switched out a minority opportunity district for another. Now for the congressional map. <clears throat> 
Judge Jones ordered that enacted congressional districts 3, 6, 11, 13, and 14 violated the Voting Rights Act. To remedy this, and I will repeat, to remedy this, Judge Jones ordered that an additional majority black congressional district be drawn in the West Metro Atlanta area. As drawn, the Republican proposal violates the court order. The proposed map does not expand black voters' opportunity to elect candidates of their choice as ordered by the court. While the proposed map technically adds a majority black district, it adds the district by excluding a substantial number of black voters who have suffered from vote dilution. Over 140,000 black voters in the plaintiff illustrative map are still denied the, op the ability to elect a candidate of choice in this proposed map. Additionally, this map would eliminate a minority opportunity district, which is currently the seat of a black woman incumbent. The map eliminates minority opportunity district in Georgia 7th district. In order to create a new majority black district in Georgia 06. More specifically, the majority minority district in Georgia 7 goes from 67% minority voting age population to 33% minority voting age population. This is not a game. Additionally, this map packs about 1.5 million voters of color in the Atlanta metro into four minority opportunity districts who are currently in five minority opportunity districts. That part. This is a prime example of majority leaders ignoring the spirit of the court's order. The federal court order instructed the state to expand minority opportunity districts yet this map reduces them. Additionally, this map reduces the voting strength of black voters in McDonald by splitting the city among several districts. This makes no sense. In conclusion of my remarks, ultimately the Republican proposals for the congressional and statehouse districts use the same gerrymandering tactics that we use in redrawing the Senate districts and violates the court order. Colleagues, I ask that you not disregard the court's order. Instead, you should vote no on each of these maps and protect the voting rights of black Georgians. Well, unfortunately, ma'am, that's not going to happen or didn't happen. Georgia Republicans did what they wanted to do to protect themselves. And again, stay well above that 56.7% state house, 59% state senate, and the wildly disproportionate 64% congressional proportion. 
Senator Tanya Anderson's comments on the Senate floor when we return. And later in the show, Senator Elena Parent joins us to give her thoughts on the way this special session went when it came to redrawing maps. When The Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. Uh, all right, so this is a bit of a short segment, unfortunately, because I ran a little long in the first segment. Actually, do I take the heat for that, or does Senator Gloria Butler do? You know what? I'm not going to do that. She is deliberate in her speech, and I'm quite okay with that. She was, however, followed up by fellow Senator Tanya Anderson, who had some points to make as well. Be the one that does the right thing. House Bill 1EX does not remedy the Voting Rights Act violations that led to this special session. It does not comply with the clear language of Judge Jones's order. Further, it involves a partisan gerrymandering that seeks to that seeks to cement the political power of the majority party with little regard of the fact that it affects the right of all Georgians to select the candidate of their choice. Judge Jones ordered the General Assembly to create five additional majority black districts. To achieve this result, the majority has dismantled other Voting Rights Act protected districts. Gone is House District 81. This district allowed black and Hispanic voters to join together and elect candidates of their choice. Gone too is the House District 105 in Gwinnett County. This district allowed black, Hispanic, and Asian voters to work together and elect candidates of their choice. These districts are now represented by white incumbents. Like Alabama before us, Georgia Republicans thumb their nose at a federal court order. These maps do not remedy the Voting Rights Act violations Judge Jones found. They will likely result in the court taking away the General Assembly's power to draw these maps and remedy those violations. Like they did in Alabama. Georgia Republicans would rather force the court to draw these maps than pass fair maps that recognize the growing power of voters of color. House Bill 1EX is a partisan gerrymanderer that does not empower any voters to choose candidates of their choice. Mm -mm. This map weakens the power of black voters. It exists only to entrench the power of the current majority. For these reasons, we disagree as the minority party with House Bill 1EX. Thank you, Mr. President. I yield the well. And so, listen, what I think you don't hear in that statement, but maybe underlying, you, you kind of hear it in your mind, this is going to put this in the hands of a special master, the courts, so that local Republicans can talk about federal activist judges, federal overreach. I mean, that is the underlying theme of the conservative movement in the South. Since, by the way, Reconstruction, the end of the Civil War. The more things change, the more they don't. It's interesting, to, however, to note that of the three maps that are being voted on, uh, two of which have already been voted on, maybe a third before this show airs, and. I'll, I'll let you know if it does before I get done. Um, Professor Anthony Michael Kreese, who you see all the time on MSNBC and CNN, handsome dapper fella, 
Hi, Professor. Uh, he's a law professor at Georgia State University. He tweeted early this afternoon, or actually, was it this afternoon? Maybe around lunchtime, that the Georgia State Senate, I'm sorry, the Georgia State House map, he says, this may be the only map to avoid getting a special master. When I asked him why, he said, because it does increase both black representation and substantive representation of black political interests in the body as a whole. He says, still a gerrymandered map, of course, but it could be viewed as meeting the bare minimum. The other maps fall well short. So we could get a mixed bag out of the federal court action once they get these maps back in their hands. Going to take a quick break back in just a few minutes, and we have State Senator Elena Parent to join us to give her take on the maps that were voted on, the one, uh, the congressional map. We're still keeping an eye on that, uh, if that gets voted on as well, when the run show returns here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. I'm honored to have the opportunity to speak with the chair of the Georgia Senate Democrats. State Senator Elena Parent, thank you for joining us. I appreciate that. Glad to be invited on. So you are a mother you are, well, first of all, let's let's put this uh, in the way you describe it on your uh, your Twitter X account. You're a wife, you're a mother, and a lawyer, and chair of the Georgia Senate Democrats. And I feel like you can draw from all of those experiences to just give us some frustration. This has to be so frustrating to have been called into a special session to do something that you were tasked to do. And uh, you gave an analogy earlier this week that I thought was pretty apt. It spoke to being a parent uh, who tells. Um, uh, you know, uh, the mother tells the kid, clean your room. And instead of doing that, they put up a couple of shirts and left all the dirty underwear all over the floor. That's a pretty an apt analogy. Um, so fresh from the well, fresh from the Capitol. How are you feeling after all of this? Well, it's distressing to see Republicans double down on maps that disenfranchise minority voters, especially black Georgians. Mm -hmm. Um, We heard some talk about how they are, you know, want to win more minority voters and they are winning more minority voters. Well, you sure wouldn't know it from these maps, which uh, try to give more opportunities to white voters to elect the candidates of their choice than they do to minority voters. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, as you left, by the way, had the congressional map been voted on? I, I keep looking to see if that's the actually... congressional map was voted on in the Senate, okay. and it it, yeah. it does uh, need to go over to the House of Representatives. So I uh, I played a little around uh, around with the numbers a little bit in the first segment and spoke not not so much about racial makeup but partisan makeup in this country, looking for some ideas about what the partisanship looks like in this state. And saw that at the state house level, the GOP has fifty six point seven percent representation, fifty nine percent in your chamber, and at the right. congressional level, sixty four point three percent. And yet, nowhere in the last ten years can I find a gubernatorial or presidential candidate from that party that has gone over fifty three percent. That's exactly right. The maps are gerrymandered on a partisan basis as well as on a racial basis to minimize the power of Democratic leaning voters. So. The Voting Rights Act doesn't necessarily speak to partisanship, though, and yet at the same time, we know that the disproportionate representation 
at the ballot box for voters of color and their party of choice and uh, white voters and their party of choice, particularly in the South, it's, it's pretty strong. Do you feel like that there was a little bit of sleight of hand by the Georgia GOP when it came to uh, taking advantage of that? And also, I, I liken it, I, I've been saying, it's almost as if they, they sort of were robbing from the tan and the other brown to try and placate the, the needs of uh, making sure that the black representation that the judge asked for was taken care of. That's right. That's what their um, goal would be to minimize uh, the representation of voters of color across the map. So your, your gut is that all three of these are going to go to a special master, you would think, right? Well, I mean, there's strong legal arguments that all three maps uh, violate the order and the Voting Rights Act. Um, they proceed on somewhat different legal theories. So it will be interesting to see what the plaintiffs do now. The plaintiffs have um, announced that uh, they sent a letter to the reapportionment committees in both the House and the Senate declaring that the Senate map, state Senate map, violates the judge's order in the Voting Rights Act. We're with Senator Elena Parent. She is chair of the uh, Georgia House or Georgia Senate uh, Democrats. Um, I've been watching all of this stuff live on YouTube for the last week and a half. I'm one of probably a, a few hundred geeks around the country, maybe, who've been watching this stuff live. And I've, I feel as if I've been watching a court drama unfold on several different stages, whether it be in subcommittee hearings or on the uh, House or Senate floor. And uh, the, the, the passion, I, I totally see the passion, uh, particularly on the left. And it, it's not that I don't see arguments being made on the right. I just see a lot of sleight of hand. But I also see what seems to be a lot of cordiality between members of both parties uh, across the aisle. How, how do you guys do this? Because I get, I get hot and bothered. I get upset just watching this stuff. Right. I think in order to do this job um, effectively, you do need to be able to maintain professional versus personal to a certain extent. Otherwise, you don't have the right temperament to be able to do the job. It's not that it's always easy. It's not easy, but um, once you've sort of seen things happen and stewed over them, the next time they happen, it's a little bit easier. And you just understand that, you mean, you might think they're immoral jerks, <laughs> but, you know, you don't spend time dwelling on it mm -hmm. because, you know, there are partisan reasons that they're doing um, some things. And you know what? There's there's differences in views across the American electorate. Mm -hmm. And all of the people in the country and their views deserve representation. So it's not as though I think I should agree with every member. Mm-hmm. And most of them, on a personal level, um, I'm fond of. Not all, but you know, many. Yeah, and I, I, I like I said, I, I totally see that. There, there seems to be a level of cordiality in the General Assembly that you don't obviously see in Congress or even in the U.S. Senate these days. It, well, it, you know, our body is, uh, is smaller. 
you notice that at least the Senate, you know, it's 56 people. The House of Representatives up there is obviously very large. Um, you, you notice that there, there's some differences in the way the chambers are run. So it is more common for, I think, a, an elected official in Washington to be giving a speech to an empty chamber. Mm-hmm. We're sort of more captive. You need to at least be near the floor because you're going to vote right away. Mm-hmm. I think they hold votes open for a longer amount of time. So people can maybe even leave their offices and get in. I'm obviously not an expert on the procedure up there, but um, we have to kind of be on or near the floor. I also feel like maybe there's a social media element to this as well. There's obviously C-SPAN's running 24-7, it seems like, uh, you know, in both chambers. And we've seen how uh, politicians like Marjorie Taylor Greene utilize social media for sound bites and quick gotcha stuff. And that just doesn't seem to be as prevalent uh, in the General Assembly as well. Would you agree with that? I think that social media um, has created opportunities that didn't exist that sort of warp the discourse and make room for performative politics um, in advance of solving any problems or serious legislating. And it's a problem that uh, we have to grapple with. We're with uh, Senator Elena Parent, she is chair of the Georgia Senate Democrats, and uh, I'm I'm sure you are deft enough to think two or three steps ahead, like you're playing a game of chess here. Uh, can Can you also predict that if we have two or more of these maps redrawn by a special master, that the quick retort at the state GOP level is going to be liberal activist judges, et cetera, and so on? I mean, we've kind of heard this speak, uh, you know, from from federal activism pretty much since Reconstruction. That's right. There, there will be um, cries of that. Um, and I think that we will hear more about um, plans to try to get Judge Jones's rulings overturned at the 11th Circuit. Which is a uh, Trump-appointed leaning body. It yeah, It's a conservative circuit. Yeah. However, the Supreme Court, at the, at the, at the Supreme Court level... We've been somewhat surprised by the way, I'd say surprised, we shouldn't be, but we've been somewhat uh, happily surprised, I guess, that they actually adjudicate on the law when it comes to these sort of matters before. Right. They they have. They they upheld Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, um, reaffirmed that voters of color could not be gerrymandered to the extent that they, they had less opportunities to elect the candidate of their choice uh, than white voters. So, you know, we do think that this is not the end of the discussion, and we do think that there's limited appetite at the Supreme Court for overturning, you know, Section 2 of the VRA. And so then, the, you know, at the, at the present time, at a minimum. So then the question becomes, what does the 11th Circuit do as a conservative court, but as one that is dealing with Supreme Court precedent from only a couple months ago? So can you speak to the argument that, and this is typical, I expect to hear this all the time, well, Democrats used to do this too. Sure. I mean, and, and, and you know, and, and we have seen some egregious gerrymandering out of Democrats for the purpose of um, maintaining partisan advantage in the past. Uh, it's not right when either party does it. I will say that the surgical precision that can be operated under now is vastly different than the last time that Democrats drew maps in Georgia. I was actually pretty impressed at how fast they came out with alternative maps. And I'm guessing that that all had to be either AI generated or they, they had a program waiting and, and, and the computer There's humming and ready to go. That stuff. Yes. Yeah. And then you can much more uh, 
in a much more precise manner sort voters, which makes it that much more dangerous. The mm-hmm. gerrymandering is that much more dangerous these days than it was back when you had to do it by hand. So and, and there wasn't as much data available on, yeah. on voters. So Ken Lawler from Fair Districts, Georgia, uh, actually pointed out that uh, Democratic uh, versions of new maps as well did not exactly get great grades from them. Can you speak to that? Um, I am not completely familiar with exactly what was going on over there because it was the House of Representatives maps, I believe. Um, but I know that the map that the Senate introduced did get check marks in both the broad categories from Fair Districts, Georgia. Way to go. Great job on that. So how do we, uh, those of us who are left of center, start working the angle and, and convincing the American voter, which, you know, obviously just keeps getting disenfranchised here and, and their voice uh, lessened, uh, that it's so apparent. It's so apparent. Conservatives historically in this nation's history have loathed democracy. We, we speak so flowingly and glowingly of democracy and spreading it a, a, a around the world. And yet here at home, we don't seem to be very good at it. We certainly don't. And that's what starts happening when a one political party is relying on a, a minority coalition. And, and and by that I mean a numeric mi- minority coalition that is that is actually shrinking. So, so either you change your approach right. to win the hearts and minds of a more diverse electorate, or you double down on the coalition you have, try to be more extreme to drive them to the polls at a higher rate, and try to you know around the margins suppress the votes of voters that you suspect are are not. Um, as favorable to voting for your party. And it seems pretty apparent which, uh, which direction the GOP... Well, that is what's happened. You know, after <laughs> Romney lost, they yeah. did that autopsy and yeah. the, you know, the RNC and said, hey, we need to really change our message on immigration. We've got to to figure out some ways to appeal to a more diverse electorate. And then, you know, what happened next? Trump came along and then he won. And, and so, you know, there's been no discussion of that since. Mm-hmm. And he captured the base and... Um, some of those people who I think thought that the party needed to take a different approach are, are all but Democrats now because yeah. they so oppose um, Trumpism. But 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 also, does that not uh, seem to, or does it have any sway within the Democratic Party that we have folks who are coming from maybe center, maybe even a little right of center into the fold now? Does does that in any way you think uh, alter the uh, the platform, the ideology of the Democratic Party? I mean, it could because, you know, we've always been, but we've always been a big tent and we welcome anyone who wants to join our fight for um, equality and opportunity for all Americans. I love that. So turning the page, one last question for you, Senator uh, Elena Parent joining us. She's chair of the Georgia Senate Democrats. And you would think has a a pretty big voice within the state Democratic Party in general because of that uh, role. What do we do at the state level going into the 2024 election to try and rectify this? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, the these maps will be back in court. So mm-hmm. I think we all need to um, make plans for campaigns for the future while still recognizing that we don't know what maps will actually be in effect for the next election. That's hard. Um, you know, and, and as always, there is a... A level of education and engagement that we really try to do with voters across the state, and we'll be continuing that. I, I think of uh, Lucy McBath. I think of Jerrica Richardson, who's running for uh, a congressional seat, and they really have no idea where they're going to be campaigning. That's just so difficult to to game plan right. that. It is. Although I will say that I think Judge Jones will be prepared to move swiftly. What do you think that time frame will be? 
I think it's going to be very fast. Interesting. All right. I think it'll be before the holidays that he tells us. Fantastic. All right. Well, listen, uh, I know you're, you're a busy woman. I appreciate you giving us a few minutes to, uh, to weigh in on these maps and, uh, and let us, uh, let us have a little bit of insight on on what's happening, uh, at the uh, Senate level. Senator Elena well, Parent. Thank you. Yes. Thanks Senator for having me on the show, Ron. Georgia Senate Democrats. I appreciate you giving me the time. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Okay, two things. How about my dryer going off in the background? <laughs> I've been trying to find out how to turn that buzzer off, and I don't think there's a way to do that. Uh, also, you can tell that Senator Parent was multitasking as well. Uh, yeah, she, she just got home. Uh, I'm sure there was probably like an, uh, an email from a principal at a school, a uh, PTA advisor, something like that, that she had to answer to. And, uh, you know, per my last email, I can just, oh, I can totally tell it. Headlines in the AJC about Cop City that have absolutely nothing to do with the fact that APD officials have been using the Signal app secretly because they're not going to cover that. What they are covering, we'll get that for you next when the Rancho returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. I want to thank Georgia Senate Democratic Chair, State Senator Elena Parent for joining us earlier to talk about redistricting. And her frustration was a lot more measured than mine. I would have been apoplectic. <laughs> well, you've heard me. I have been apoplectic for the last uh, seven, six shows uh, or seven shows, uh, give or take. Um so yesterday, uh, our guest was Timothy Pratt, who is a freelance journalist. He has written for the New York Times, LA Times, Time Magazine, The Guardian. Uh, his latest piece is a Guardian article headline, Atlanta police use Signal to discuss Cop City amid outcry over transparency. Uh, the Signal app enables you to converse back and forth with someone else who has the Signal app and then get rid of all evidence of it. it it's like untraceable. Whereas if you tried that on like Snapchat, you, you know, Snapchat may have a, a database uh, somewhere that they can pull it. If the court requires them to cough it up, signal, eh, not so much. And in the article, you'll learn that there's actually a lot of use of the signal app within the law enforcement community across the country. And there's nothing on the books in the city of Atlanta that prohibits that. Although... Atlanta City Councilman Antonio Lewis wants to ban us wearing ski masks if it gets cold or any sort of facial mask that protects us when it gets cold. That we needed, but any legislation to deal with Atlanta Police Department officials using the Signal app or anyone who is employed by city government or a a city politician using the signal. We, we can't prohibit that. That's not a priority. Uh, and listen, I'm not just going to get mad at Atlanta City Council about this. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, whose publisher and president, Andrew Morse, wrote this huge op-ed reaffirming that paper and its parent company, who is a funder of the Atlanta Police Foundation's belief that we need the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. Wrote that, published it Saturday morning, didn't mention the paper and its parent company's ties to the Atlanta Police Foundation because pst, editorial integrity, who needs that? Um, but here, here's where some more editorial integrity is missing. There is not one mention of this story in The Guardian in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And it's not like the AJC says, well, if we didn't break it, we can't report on it. They do that all the time. They do that all the time. You just cite it. But they didn't do that. What are they talking about? Um, Oh, they did talk about the fact that there's going to be a documentary and a podcast 
uh, specifically planned about the entire Cop City saga. Rodney Ho, my man Rodney, breaking this. Rodney has yet to do a story on Where Am I Now, by the way, and this this podcast and this show. He does that for other folks. He hasn't done that for me. By the way, Google Ron Roberts, Rodney Ho. You'll, yeah. Um, Atlanta-based Tenderfoot TV, he writes, the creators behind the podcast Atlanta Monster and Up and Vanished is working on both a podcast and a documentary about Atlanta's planned public safety training center. The facility, which Atlanta Police Chief Darren Sheerbaum has said will open in 2024, has fueled both peaceful protests and violence. Do you know that is the most balanced statement written about Cop City in the AJC yet? Rodney Ho is the entertainment reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This clearly slid under the radar. Andrew Morris did not see this before it went to press. Couldn't have, or else... Because he never talked... Andrew Morse didn't talk about the fact that there were both peaceful protests and violence. Uh, all right, so that's an interesting story. Uh, we'll uh, share that in the show notes. How about a Rodney Ho article in the show notes at ronshowetl.com? Uh, what was the other one? Oh, here's another one. They've done the math, and uh, Riley Bunch of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports that the city of Atlanta has spent nearly $1.3 million, no, more than $1.3 million on legal representation in court cases involving the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Somewhat under construction and being bantied about. <clears throat> she writes, uh, records obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution show a rising price tag in the two court cases involving the facility, including the lawsuit against the eligibility requirements of the ballot referendum process. But remember, as Andrew Morse and the AJC wrote, there's been no voter suppression. <laughs> but again, nothing about the APD's use of the Signal app to shield their conversations from public scrutiny. Another story the AJC did cover. How about this? Uh, Fulton County is considering a $10 million tax break to Elon Musk's ex, formerly Twitter, platform. And this tax break would help them retain two dozen jobs two dozen existing data center jobs, no promise to create any new jobs. That $10 million tax break breaks down to jobs that pay, apparently, $416,666.67. I mean, I don't think they really do, but that's what this $10 million tax break is supposed to enable Elon Musk's ex, formerly Twitter, to do. Save 24 jobs. That breaks down to $416,666.67 per job. You know what I'd be telling Elon Musk if I were on this Fulton County panel that's weighing this decision? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. Yes. But yeah. go f*** yourself. Yes, that's exactly what I would be telling. Is that clear? Yeah. I hope it is. Hey, Elon, if you're in the audience, Zachary Hansen at the AJC. Is that really his name? Zach Hansen, mm, mm, bop. Zachary Hansen at the AJC writes, uh, the Development Authority of Fulton County, considering the proposed tax break uh, for X Corp, formerly Twitter, that will reduce the company's tax bill over a 10-year period. Oh, I see. So it's more like $41,667. Okay. So we're basically just paying these salaries for uh, these data center employees. Um the platform, which is owned by Tesla CEO Elon Musk, owns and operates computer storage space with qualified technology services, data center, 
I'm not going to give you the address. Uh, the authorities' agenda said the tax savings are needed to prevent X from choosing to install the equipment in Portland. What do we say to that? Go f*** yourself. Incidentally, that billionaire stable genius has now picked a fight with Paris Hilton, who is also now not advertising on the X platform. That is a brilliant business strategy, by the way. To uh, in, Instead of addressing the concerns the advertisers have, to just pick fights with them publicly. Chef's kiss. Brilliant job. All right, that's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or you podcast show notes and more. RonShowATL.com. Thank you again, Senator Elena Perry, for joining us. We will see you all tomorrow.